Hey, welcome to the Theology for the People podcast. This is our first kind of podcast exclusive. And in the podcast, generally, I'm going off of articles and things I've written on my blog, but I really want to get into doing some podcast exclusives. So this is our first foray into that. And I'm joined today by Pastor Michael Payne. Hey, Mike. Hey. And Mike is the worship pastor here at Whitefields Community Church, where I serve as well. And, um, you know, Mike and I, we end up talking a lot about theology um, as we're running. In fact, it's one of my favorite things to do <laughs> yeah. is to get running and notice that Mike's out of breath and then ask him about all his thoughts about uh, theology. It's a tactic I do to keep myself interested and also not talk is that I'll try to elicit uh, answers from you rather than having to talk myself. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, here's here's a funny thing that, that came about that I wanted to discuss with you. We discussed a little bit on a run, but I thought mm-hmm. this would be a great podcast episode because I think this is something that a lot of people think about. So here's what it was. I One of my most viewed articles on my blog is this article about the impact that a dad's faith and church attendance has on children. And this this um, particular, you know, it's kind of one of these evergreen episodes. It keeps getting a lot of traffic, but it also um, gets a lot of traffic at certain times of year, particularly Father's Day, which is actually when I wrote it. I wrote it um, coming off of Father's Day. So on this, I, I've gotten several comments over the years, but I just got this comment last week and I thought it would be interesting to talk about. So let me just read you this comment. It's from a woman named Laura and she says, what is the benefit of attending church? A person is demanded to surrender personal faith in Jesus and personal relationship with Jesus Christ to become a Borg. I think that means like a cyborg in a socialist swamp. Apparently that's what the church is, a socialist swamp. Okay. Uh, it's great for becoming robotized, lobotomized, romanized, and institutionalized. Um, some great uh, alliter is that's not a, is that alliteration? Uh, it's pretty close, something yeah. like that. We're not going nice to come up she- with another rap album anytime soon, <laughs> yeah. but it's pretty good. Yeah. So, but she says it it is pointless for knowing Jesus Christ personally. Don't go. Jesus isn't welcome there. Conformity is king, not Jesus. So that's the end of her comment there. And at first, you know, my my initial response was, you know. Maybe I don't need to approve this comment. I'm not sure I want this on my blog comments. But then you thought, you know what? It's probably better to respond to this because she's probably not the only person out there who thinks in this manner. So I had a few thoughts I'm going to share, and then I'll kick it over to you, Mike, just to give kind of your two cents, and we'll just chat about this. So I'll start off with a story, and then then I'll go into some more stuff. You know, I... I, here's my my growing up experience is that I went to Lutheran school and we went to the church sometimes. I wouldn't say that we were there every Sunday, but we went to the church regularly enough. And um, and then I I got catechized, you know, I got uh, confirmed in the Lutheran church. But then I would still say that I don't think I really had true personal relationship with Jesus. In fact, that idea of relationship with Jesus was was something that. God used in my life through some scripture verses like Matthew chapter seven through a friend in my life who showed me this verse where Jesus essentially says to these people on the last day who thought that they were saved, he says, you never knew me. We never had a relationship. And that really was used in my life by the Lord to say, Hey, you know, you don't have a relationship with me. 
Long story short, I end up looking for a church to go to where I can learn the Bible. I end up at this church in Wheat Ridge called Crossroads Church of Denver, Pastor Tom Stipe, and it was so good. And I just grew so much under the study of the word. I was there whenever the church doors were open. And what I found in the church, I just found like, here's a community of people who are pursuing Jesus together. And I'm sure that they're not perfect, but man, this is beautiful. These people are, you know, bringing their resources together. They're spending money on missions, trips, and spreading the gospel in our community and around the world. And I thought, this is the greatest thing that could ever exist. And I thought, I just want to be part of something like this for the rest of my life. This is amazing. I love the church. And maybe it's because I just had a really positive experience, but it shocked me a few years later when I came to find out that not everybody thought that way about the church. There's a lot, a lot of people out there who are like, think the church is bad or or unnecessary or superfluous, or they just are like, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. And I have to say that from a, from a theological standpoint, that really that view of loving Jesus, but hating his body or hating his bride, I don't think it holds water because Jesus apparently loves the church so much that he wants to marry it. He created it. Here's the, here's the other parts, just kind of a theological overview of the church. The church is the people of God, right? We are, um, you know, just as there were 12 apostles, just as there were 12 tribes of Israel. This is the new people of God, if you will. And we are to be, so we're created by Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 16, right? I will establish my church. So the church is established by Jesus. It is protected by Jesus. He sent the Holy Spirit to the church, for the purpose of being his witnesses, not just as individual believers, but as, as a community. Then he proliferated the church and he sent the Holy Spirit, like in the book of Acts chapter 13, to send people out to do what? To go start more churches. Then letters are written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not to just individuals, but mostly to churches. And then we see in the book of Revelation that there are letters written to churches, but maybe most importantly, in Revelation chapter one, we see Jesus. And what is he doing? He's walking amongst the lampstands, which represent the churches. So basically, where do you find Jesus? Among the church. So I think that this just theologically doesn't hold any weight. And I think there's also a big cultural aspect to it, which I'm going to get to next, but I want to give you a chance to chime in here, Mike. Well, I, you know, listening to that comment, I would say there's obviously, well, I'm not, let's not, I don't want to assume anything. Let's just say it seems that there's been a negative experience that obviously has brought this out. So if we play devil's advocate, you know, after years of being in the church, I grew up in the church. I've been in full-time ministry now over, you know, close to 25 years. There is a lot that plays into the idea that it it's just better I stay home. And why is that? Well, because the church can be a toxic environment many, many times. Uh, you know, like if we want to just say, what, what would lead someone to make a comment like this? Well, the, the church can be a place where a lot of sinful people, a lot of um, very uh, hurt people, <laughs> a lot of people that, you know, have bad backgrounds, they've come, they gather together in one place. And that is, that can be an atmosphere where people can get hurt. Uh, so that's just on the congregational side. So if we, we look at that, then on the other side, you know, churches, 
if you think about the churches in the in the, in the old, uh, New Testament, the the you know they they were small house churches. They were you know make smaller congregations. A lot of the the communities that that we we saw when we were in Eastern European small church communities. Uh, but now we've had the advent of like the mega church, and I hear a lot of comments uh, from people similar to that that have had a bad mega church experience. Meaning, it's drive-through McDonald's kind of thing. You, it's in and out. There are multiple services. Bam, bam, bam. It's a 55-minute server, 40-minute service, whatever. Same, you know. It's almost like this generate. You know, they're just kind of generating this thing. The zero community. Now, of course, there's community groups and things that are outside but the initial Sunday morning experience can be very like packaged and some people react very negatively towards that a lot of large churches what happens a lot of cliques are formed and so people come in and they you know they don't nobody greets them or they see all these people group you know they can't break into a click or they can't break into a thing and then they have well why am i here you know uh and that's kind of i think maybe some of the if you were you know say wanted to talk a little bit about what actually plays into somebody making a comment i think it's a legitimate beef that uh, people sometimes have with the church you know uh, and and we as church leaders we should always be fighting against that and and that's what we want to do you know as leaders we're always trying to create community at every at you know every part whether it's sunday morning whether it's greeting new people whether it's community groups whether it's you know reaching out to people with a text or phone call or any of these kind of things that's really on us as leaders to try and combat some of these things that people, some of these backgrounds that people are coming from. I mean, that was kind of my initial thoughts after hearing is that, you know, it, it could be a legi- legitimate uh, kind of beef that, that this person has with the church, uh, but it, their reaction to it is more detrimental to them than mm-hmm. it really is, you know, going forward. Yeah. You know? So one thought I had on that was that, you know, if there's anybody who's been hurt by the church, it would be Jesus. And he still seems to be pretty committed exactly, to the church. Yeah. He got betrayed like from day one, right? Like betrayed by um, Judas, but then he got betrayed by Peter. And then he got betrayed by everybody except for maybe John. John seems to be the one guy who stuck around. Um, but like all of his closest friends betrayed him. And, you know, he feeds all these people and all that, and they're not committed to the church. So there's a lot of people who want things from him, but don't want to contribute anything to to his mission and, and what he's establishing. And I would just say that, um, that Jesus should be our model. Like, if we're going to follow somebody and be disciples of somebody, and it's Jesus, right? Well, then what's his attitude about the church? It seems to be that he's thinks pretty positively about the church in spite of its flaws and that, um, yeah. So, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, completely understand. And, and, and but I know you, I know you've heard this comment many times. I know I've heard it many times. You'll get an email Monday morning. I came to your church yesterday for the first time and nobody said hello to me. I'm never coming back. Yeah. And that reflects, there's two ways you can go with it. That kind of criticism, like, well, okay, well, you only came one time. Why didn't you say hello to anybody? Well, that's one reaction, leadership, and some leadership has that. My reaction to that is that, 
we still want to create an atmosphere where people are greeting one another. And we try to do that here at church. Uh, you know, you see somebody new, go say hello to them. If they're standing by themselves, try and reach out. You know, that's on us. But as a, as a person coming to church who walks in and says, nobody said hello to me when I walked in, what is their mindset? And again, I don't want to assume their mindset, but comments like this and, uh, you know, th- those kind of emails that come up, they, they kind of reflect an attitude that the, the church is here for me. And what is, what are you here to give me? And so maybe that pl- plays into kind of the consumer attitude we have in Western culture. Like I'm here for something and you're not giving it to me the way I like it. Um, and, and I think that's a wrong approach to church, especially when you're talking about the body of Christ. You're talking about um, coming together and encouraging one another, as you know it talks about there in Colossians three seventeen, speaking hymns and, and 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 spiritual songs and psalms to one another, encouraging, admonishing one another, encouraging uh, one another. We're we're. Um, there's a, there's a purpose. Yeah, we're coming to receive, but we're also coming with the mindset mindset to give. And I think if we don't do that, then we can we can come away with that. Like, well, I'm not getting what I need, and so I'm not going back to church. And 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 so I think that's you know play maybe plays a little bit into that kind of mindset when somebody walks in and like, what is it in what is in it for me in this mm-hmm. church? And and I think that's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I think though, so we could approach this from two, two points of view. One point of view is the point of view of a person attending the church. And I think we would challenge them to say, Hey, like you're saying, there's more to it than just, uh, you receiving, et cetera. But then there's also the view of the person who's involved in the church, right? Being a leader or a volunteer or serving in in some capacity. And I think that as you mentioned already, but like we want to do everything we can because here's the thing, like somebody comes into our church, we can't expect them to be a, a fully formed, you know, disciple of Jesus. We want to take them from where they are, which in our culture means a consumer minded person in general and take them from where they are and teach them something different. And oftentimes in order to meet them where they are and walk them over that bridge, take their hand and, and walk them over that bridge and help them become that person, it takes a, a process of discipleship. But you have to kind of start with where they are. And so I say that, yes, for sure, what you said. And also there's this aspect of why do we as a church seek to go out of our way to make sure that we do greet people, make sure that we do as much as we can follow up with people. You know, I know of one situation where it's similar, like you're talking about, where somebody came, they didn't get greeted. And I, I did know a little bit about the situation. And here's what I, I realized, that the people around them in, where they were sitting were also brand new to the church. And so here you got two groups of people wondering, well, these people at this church, nobody's you know coming over and greeting me. But they're both thinking that because they're both brand new to the church. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, what a, what a terrible situation where, where you have uh, somebody who's frustrated, almost feeling hurt, and, and maybe actually two groups of people feeling that way because, um, because of their expectation. So I think that on the one hand, we, we want to meet people where they're at and make sure that we do our best to greet and be friendly and welcoming, etc. But, it, you know, it, it becomes a... A relationship that requires some give and take. Here's a, here's one thing I was going to share about is that a few years ago, I read this book by Scott McKnight. And um, here's what it said. 
it's said that um, essentially he said there are two men who did more to shape the American psyche and culture than anyone else in the area of religion. The first is a man named Roger Williams. Roger Williams was the founder of the colony of Rhode Island, and he moved from England to Boston in the 1600s. He became part of the Puritan colony there. And the Puritan's goal was to create a pure church free from politics and corruption and compromise. And Roger Williams loved this idea. The only thing was, after a while, he noticed that there were some things in the church there in Boston that he really didn't like. Stuff like he didn't like how they did baptism, and he didn't like how the church was operated or run. So what did he do? He left, and he moved down south of Boston, and he established his own colony with its own church. And that is what is now the Providence, or sorry, the state or the city, the city of Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, so he founded Providence, Rhode Island because he didn't get along with the church up in Boston. So he moved down there, started his own church. But then here's what's so funny, maybe not funny. After a while, he found some things that he didn't like about this new church, the one that he himself had started and some of the, the what the people there were doing. So he left that church and established another church nearby and then he left that church too. In fact, every church he started, he eventually left because he found things he didn't like about them, and it never completely matched his vision for what a perfect church should be. Eventually, Roger Williams ended up alone, still having faith in God, but completely withdrawn from any form of Christian community. The second person in this uh, who is you know, played a big role in shaping the American way of thinking about religion was Henry David Thoreau. Now, he's pretty well known. He was a writer. He famously told us to march to the beat of our own drum. He lived in a hut next to this place called Walden Pond, and he would write about going for walks in the forest alone. And he expressed a very powerful theme for Americans, and that is this, that we take care of ourselves as individuals, we work for ourselves, we answer only to ourselves. And when it comes to church, we do that for ourselves too, or we don't do it. So Thoreau shaped American culture by putting self at the heart of the American psyche. And his biographer put it this way. He, quote, stands as the most powerful example of the American mentality of self-trust, self-reverence, and self-reliance. But here's the last thing I'll say about Thoreau. If you look at his life, what you find is not a happy person. You find a person who struggled to engage in meaningful relationships. He had no long-term relationships. And at the end of his life, he had no friends. So you have the rugged individualism of Henry David Thoreau plus the personal religion of Roger Williams, and that shapes American culture to this day. And here's what we need to see, that, that this is really selling us short of what God has for us. I, I think that God has something better for us. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that's so so obvious. I think when you, again, speaking to that church shopping consumer mentality, what is it in it for me? I mean, I've heard that phrase. It's become part of the church vernacular. I'm church shopping. And and I understand that you're looking place for your kids. You're looking, you know, there's legitimate things like that, but it plays into that idea of, of uh, I need to take care of self. And the idea, you know, in, in a, a church, a church is a mess, messy place. It is a messy place. And I don't think you can get around that, but marriage is a messy thing. Mm. Like imagine if people approach marriage, like they approach church, like I'm not going to be vulnerable. 
I'm not going to talk to you. I'm just going to stay in my room and you stay in your room So, and we're not going to meet. I'm glad that <laughs> you find this idea foreign because hopefully that means that your marriage isn't this way. But Mike, I think there are a lot of marriages that are like that. There probably are. And yeah. that's, a, that's a sad thing. That's a sad thing. And it, again, and it speaks to how marriage is, I mean, not to, you go off the path here, but marriage has become what, what, it, what is in, what are you going to do for me in this marriage? And it's the same, the same question. It's not, what am I going to do for you? And, and the biblical picture of what marriage is, is, is so far removed now from what marriage has become in the world that we live in. It's all about me and my, my rights. And can we be, be, our rights be compatible? And when they're not anymore, then we'll just get divorced and go on to the next person where biblical view of marriage is completely different. It's self-sacrifice to one another as is portrayed to Christ, sacrificing himself for, for his bride, for the church. And what is our response to that? That's to give our lives, to you know, lay down our lives for a living sacrifice for him, which for me brings the question. I think some of this, um, the you know, the one of the words that came out when the, in that this person's reply was conformity. Um, I, I I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with conformity. What are we conforming to? Yeah, that's the question, and that's the question. I think Paul Paul speaks: be of one mind. You know, be of one accord. That's something in Philippians chapter 2, he talks about that as well. What are we conforming to? Well, what was Paul talking about in chapter 2? Well, it was the having the mind of Christ, conforming to the, to Jesus and conforming to what Scripture gives us, to living that out. And if that is our, you know, model and that's a thing where, then I want to conform to that. And if, if our church is conforming to that, then that is a good thing. That's only going to bear good fruit. Now, if we're conforming to, you know, extraneous things that are, you know, we're fighting over certain, you know, liturgy things or stuff like that, or, you know, I don't like this church because they, as you said, because they did baptism this way, or I don't like that. You know, maybe you have a legitimate thing, but that's not a reason to ditch the entire church. Um, you know, find a place that you can feel comfortable with in your children's ministry or the, the, the type of music. If you're your generation, you prefer hymns, go to a church that sings hymns, you know, or you prefer contemporary music or what, whatever it might be. A lot of people split. But make sure that we're all, at whatever church you're going to, they're conforming to Scripture. They're conforming to the way of Jesus. They're conforming to, to how God has portrayed himself in the word and that's what we want to be conforming that's what we want to rally around that's that's one of the greatest things about the body of Christ that you and I have experienced being a missionary so we can go to the middle of Russia not even know the language but bring up the name Jesus and we immediately have come to a place of conformity across cultures, across languages, and we can worship together and we can share the word together. We can pray for one another because we have Jesus in common and we've because we've conformed to the word, the word of God, you know. Yeah, and Paul says that in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that the purpose, you know, we all know 28, right? Verse 28, which says, for we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. But then why? What's the point of God working things together? He says so that w the end goal is so that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, I would just say we want conformity to Christ, conformity to the word, and that doesn't necessarily mean uniformity. Exactly. You yeah. know, one of the really 
interesting things about Christianity that differentiates it from like, okay, for Islam, for example, is that to become Muslim essentially means that there's so many parts of Arab culture that need to be adopted. You have to pray in Arabic. You have to do other things in Arabic. Whereas to become a Christian, let's say you're an African person and you become a Christian. Do you cease to be African? Do we try to take away your Africanness? No, if anything, we affirm your Africanness and in other ways, you become conformed to the person of, of Christ in the same way with all cultures or where, wherever you're from. And so, yeah, I would say it's not uniformity, but it is conformity to Christ, conformity to God's word in these areas. And you know, when it says in the Bible that the disciples were all in one accord, I mean, that, that doesn't mean that they were all in a Honda because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hondas only seat five people and there were more than five. More of them, of them yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess you could put a couple guys in the trunk, but I mean, there's no way you could get all those disciples mm. in one accord. Be uncomfortable for Jesus, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe they had different standards. I don't know. So, anyway, all that to say this, that there are, you mentioned that there are these passages like Colossians 3, verse 17, they talk about encouraging one another, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. But there are 59 passages in the Bible, in the New Testament, that are called the one another passages, right? Do this to one another, forgiving one another, encouraging one another, et cetera, et cetera. It's really hard to do one anothering without any others, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, and here's the other thought that you mentioned marriage. And I heard somebody say this a while back and I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty insightful. They said that, um, you know, the problem with marriage is that people don't treat their spouse as if they were truly a family member because... Um, think about it. if you have a child and your child acts or does things that hurt you or that disappoint you or et cetera, what do you do with that child? Do you say, well, I'm, I'm done with you. I'm moving on. Unfortunately, some people do, but the majority of people don't. The majority of people are quite long suffering with their children. And this person was suggesting that is exactly what we need to have with spouses, et cetera. But I think that that, you know, one of the metaphors that's used for the church in the New Testament is that of a family. Even specifically, right? It says, you know, fathers, you know, old treat old older men like fathers, older women like mothers, younger women like sisters. And it's encouraging us to have this family ethos, if you will, when it comes to the church. And I think that if you really think about church members as brothers and sisters, as part of the family of God, then you're not going to be so flippant to just you know, throw up your hands, take your ball and go home, et cetera, when things happen or, or, yeah. And, you know, of course, there's a famous verse that we haven't brought up, which is Math, or Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, mm -hmm. which says, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. That word gathering is actually the same word that's used in Greek to speak about the people of God, the congregation of Israel, which is the common term it's used in the Old Testament. So it's, again, that idea that we are called to be the people of God, the family of God, and one anothering is not just something you do with just anybody. This is these are things that happen within the household of God. So. Yeah, I totally. And and you know, thinking through thinking through some of these things, you know, again I don't want to assume anything about the person who made the comment, but just some of my 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 experiences. Unfortunately, the majority of the experiences, people that are kind of lone ranger Christians, is you know, 
is one of the things that marks most of them is bitterness. And they have this bitterness against the church or they have, and they don't get over it and they live with it. And it comes out in commenting on this or that, you know, anytime someone would bring, well, I don't, you know, the church did this church and this kind of thing just grows in them and it, it's never taken care of. And it's just, they're just bitter against people. We, I just need the Bible. I just need Jesus. And then that brings up the question, what kind of Jesus is that? And, uh, you know, again, the majority of the people that I've run into over the years who are Lone Ranger Christians, their Jesus looks nothing like the Bible. Their Jesus does this. Their Jesus lets them do this. You know, they don't, you know, they kind of pick and choose a little bit. And, you know, it reminds me of when Priscilla and Aquila met Apollos, you know, and just that relationship where he hadn't heard certain things that would happen. He hadn't heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He hadn't heard these things. And this discipleship relationship took place where he, he they, uh, Priscilla and Aquila were able to speak into his life and 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 you know, kind of bring him up to speed to what the Lord was doing and what Scripture was saying and you know and, and through Paul and through the letters and and those kind of things and that dynamic of discipleship if you are at home in your house is completely gone. And it's an important part, I think, of of Christianity, and it's an important part of the Scripture that we're as you said, speaking, admonishing one another, you know, all these one another statements you're talking about. That idea of speaking into one another's lives, growing in the things of Christ, growing in the in God's Word, and that's why for us community groups are so important. Yeah, we want people to hear the Word on Sunday morning, but then we want to, them to chew on it on Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever their community group is. We want to ask them to ask questions. We want to know how did that apply to your situation in life? Then we pray about that. And, you know, there's this kind of idea of wrestling. There's this idea of you talking with, other, talking with one another, discipling one another, being vulnerable with another, praying for one another. And that all only happens uh, in community. And community is strength. You know, what happens in you know, they talk about the animal kingdom and all those things. What what what, what do the animals do they go after? Well, the ones and the stragglers, the ones that are alone. You know, even the animal king, kingdom knows that. You know, community is stronger. That you know, the elk travel in herds. You know, buffalo travel in herds. Every everything, humans need to travel in herds. You know, and yeah. it's and the uh, people who don't right are like wolves. The exactly. lone wolf who's yeah. like dangerous and you can just others. get swayed yeah, yeah you know you just get swayed back and forth and whatever and and so I, I I haven't seen I understand the hurt a lot of people have gone they've been hurt in church they've been hurt by some uh, you know megalomaniac who was running the church or they were hurt by an elder or they had some conflict with somebody at church I completely understand that and but what does the Bible call us to do in those situations well to forgive you know, and and to to yeah, forgive and, one another and to correct those situations. You're right, mm-hmm. but yeah, you don't meet a lot of like bitter people who are really happy. No. And the other thing, one time this happened to me once. I was uh, I had had this friend when I was in high school, moved to Hungary, came back to visit, and I saw her, and then she told me this is like I hadn't seen her in like two years, and she told me. So I've been like really angry at you for like two years. And then I just like forgave you the other day. And now I feel so much better. Well, here's the thing. I'm glad that that happened to her. But you know what? I didn't, first of all, I didn't know there was a problem. Maybe that's on me. But the point is, I didn't lose an ounce of sleep or energy over the whole thing. As a bitter person, a person who's struggling with bitterness, um, she did. She lost time, energy, 
you know, years of her life, perhaps. I don't know. You know, the point being that, you know, it's an old saying, right? That bitterness is a prison cell and you hold the key. Right. And that bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. In the end, you just kill yourself. And uh, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I think your point about Aquila and Priscilla was really, really good because we need that. We need other people around us mm -hmm. who've had different experiences, different viewpoints. The Holy Spirit is in them and they can challenge some of the things we say, help us to see things differently. And we need each other to grow. And if we take that out of the equation, man, that, that's just, again, it's not God's formula. And also it's a, it's a recipe for weirdness. It is. Yeah. And I just read this great book last year as I was doing my master's dissertation. And the bummer about this book is that it is out of, it is out of publication. You can still get used copies like through Amazon and I'm sure other sites. And I would really recommend it to people. Maybe if there's enough of us looking for it, they'll <laughs> consider republishing it. It needs to be back in print in my opinion, because it's such a good book. It's called the Bible in America essays on cultural history. And uh, one of the editors is Mark Knoll. So it's an edited volume. It's very short. I mean, it's just a small book, but it's got these little essays in it. Mark Knowles, one of the editors, he's a well-known theologian and historian. But um, the, the point he brings up is kind of historical things about the development of thought around the Bible in America. And one of the things he goes back and like quotes Abraham Lincoln, for example, and one of the, one of the writers mm -hmm. does, because like I said, it's an edited volume. But, um, you know, just saying that, for example, Abraham Lincoln never went to church, but he always said he was a great fan of the Bible. Now, he couldn't really quote the Bible. He just thought positively of the Bible. He thought very negatively about church. And just saying that that idea was actually maybe more rampant in the 1800s, late 1800s, than a lot of people realize. And you know what also happened in the late 1800s was Mormonism was born and the Jehovah's Witnesses were born. And this is kind of what happens when you take this individualistic idea of just me and the Bible and nobody else. And I don't care about tradition. I don't care about uh, any other communities of faith, etc. It's just me and the Bible. And I'm going to go with my ideas. You get these people who come up with these ideas on their own and they start establishing, you know, they, they gain traction and movement. And of course, what they want to do is then create other people who join into their thing. But the point is that when you get away from community and you get away from, uh, you know, the, not just the immediate Christian community, but even a historical Christian community, you get into some weird and bizarre stuff that's, that's straying from mm -hmm. the faith handed down over the, over the centuries. Yeah. No, and that, yeah, to just, you know, to my point, the, just people that I, of who Jesus is, you know, their idea of who Jesus, when they're not in community and not wrestling with scripture in community, um, then they, they, that, that idea of who Jesus is, the the nature of God, it seems to sway off my, you know, just maybe a degree, maybe two degrees, but down the road that just becomes so far off, and sometimes it's hard to get back to to who Jesus really, really is. And then it comes back to the idea of who are you submitting to, you know? I mean, if Jesus is calling us into fellowship, then 
it's it's a choice between submitting to myself and my desire, you know, and or submitting to Christ saying, I want you to be in a community. There are things I want to work out in your life, you know, and and you you need to do that, you know, within community. And and I've just I was thought thinking back to uh, uh, Lotzi, name at Lotzi's uh, video on our missions video we showed in Easter. And if you're uh, listening to this podcast 20 years from now, <laughs> it was the pandemic of 2020. Uh, one thing that pandemic has shown us is how much people want fellowship. Yeah. How much they want to be a part of the body of Christ. I mean, it's just people that, you know, had autoimmune diseases and things like that. They they just got their shots. They couldn't wait to get the vaccine so they could come into community and be a part of what's got, you know. And as Lotzi said in his, we just want to hug each other, mm-hmm. you know. We just want to be together and, and, and you know, if a part of me can be in the sanctuary, you know, whatever that lady who painted the the picture, you know, just I want to be there, you know, when when the word is taught and those kind of things. I think you know it's kind of almost opposite to that comment is how people long and desire to be a part of the body of Christ and be in fellowship with mm-hmm. one another in the Lord. Yeah. So. Well, let's wrap this up. Let's just say this: I mean, to to love Jesus, I think, is to, and to be a disciple of Jesus, is to be committed to the things that he is committed to and to love the things that he loves. And he sure does seem to love the church. Therefore, we ought to be people who love the church with uh, spots and blemishes and, and all of these things. We need to we, we need to be conformed in the image of Christ. And one of the key ways that happens, according to God's design, is through the church. So, um, we love the church. We believe in the church, um, and we're committed to you know righting the wrongs and, and all of that. So, I hope that this person who left the comment. Now, I think that this discussion is valid not just for her, but for for anybody else out there who maybe hasn't really thought through this um, as much. But yeah, my hope would be that people would would love the church, be committed to it because it's. I think it's. It's great, you know. So, all right, we'll wrap it up. Thanks for listening to the Theology for the People podcast. Of course, check out the blog and website. You can subscribe over there on um, Theology for the People. It's at nickkady.org, nickkady.org, or just Google Theology for the People. And, uh, hey, I'd love it. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, please do that um, on whatever platform you listen to. It's Apple or Spotify or, or Google or whatever it is. And if you could do me a favor, it would really help me uh, as we're getting this podcast going to rate and review. Give us a you know, five-star rating and write a quick review, and that will help other people find the podcast and uh, get this info out there far and wide so it can reach more people. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening.